Today's sermon is called Passe Ipsum because Nicholas Cusa's favorite nickname for God is Passe Ipsum, Latin for possibility itself. Amid all the impossibilities that unfold in this life, God as possibility itself seems to me hopeful and makes God illimitable. When we pray to God as posse ipsum, possibility itself, we acknowledge that there are obstacles in our path, but a possibility might emerge in relationship with God. Change is possible. As Isaiah says, the uneven ground will become level and the rough places will become plain. Nicholas de Cusa was born in 1401 in Germany. His father was a boatsman on a tributary of the Rhine River. His grandparents would have lived through the bubonic plague that decimated up to half of Europe's population, and had he had grandchildren, they would have lived to see the Reformation, the Renaissance, the Gutenberg Press, Da Vinci, Erasmus, Descartes, Galileo, Copernicus. But right there, in the midst of these huge historical events, is is Nicholas de Cusa, who himself is also in a perpetual white water of change, surging just as it does in our day. Neighboring France and England were in the midst of a hundred years' war. The Catholic Church had three popes. There was this triple schism when uh, de Cusa was born, and Venice was at war with the Turks. In the midst of all of this, Dacuza goes to U of H for university, University of Heidelberg, and becomes an ecclesiastical lawyer. And he was bound to maybe be a blip on the historical radar, one among many of the men in priestly garb in his day, when he was invited to a delegation to Constantinople that changed his life. And maybe this is true for you, too. Some sort of cross-cultural immersion, some sort of trip, some sort of pilgrimage changed your life. He was there to settle some sort of religious dispute, but instead he saw a vision of unity, east meeting west. Something more than ecclesial infighting felt possible. On the boat ride home, he sat with the archbishops of Ephesus and Nicaea, trading notes on philosophy and theology, not in a professional level kind of conversation, but at that friendship-forming, soul-searching level. And it had a profound effect on him for the rest of his life. Even in the months leading up to his death, he felt that tug to know and understand God, that perennial quest for the unifying presence of the divine the continued search for the incomprehensible. For years, Dukuza imagined that the only way to find God was through the via negativa, through the darkness, the cloud, the pursuit of not knowing, this total emptying of the self that pushes us deeper into an articulation of God that is beyond words. God 
the unnameable one. But in the, on the Easter before his death, it became clear to him that truth shouts in the streets, and the presence of God is not elusive and cloudy, but indeed is everywhere to be found easily, God among us. The apex, he says, the high point of contemplation is to see in all things nothing but possibility itself, passe ipsum. And he's not alone, right? This is not a new idea necessarily. In the Gospel of Luke, Mary, Jesus' mother, says nothing will be impossible with God. And later, Jesus announces that same thing that he heard from his mother, what is impossible for mortals is possible for God. And so today we meet Jesus who casts this impossible vision and calls it possible. Here is the gospel lesson for today. Jesus came down with them, the disciples, and stood on a level place. With a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coasts of Tyre and Sidon, they had come to hear Jesus and to be healed of diseases. Those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all in the crowd were trying to touch Jesus, for power would come out of him and heal all of them. Then he looked up to his disciples and he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. Let us pray. Holy God, bless this reading of your holy word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer, possibility itself, here in our midst. Amen. So di dibs are over, Chicago, did you hear? Maybe, maybe you're sad to see this tradition go. You know what I'm talking about, right? Putting a folding chair right there in your street parking spot that you shoveled out. Now, all of those, all those folding chairs are going in the trash. Your lawn chairs that you placed out there to keep your parking spot gone. It's getting picked up by the, by the trash guys. All your hard work of shoveling snow so that you and only you would have a parking, a parking spot when you got home from work. It's all for naught. I mean, maybe this, is, maybe this is old history for you. Maybe this is just uh, a distant memory of your nostalgic days living in the city. But it's no surprise, really, right, that Chicago finally decided to do away with dibs. 
in this age of incivility, dibs just doesn't work. It's about me and mine instead of us and ours. It's about self-interest over neighborliness. One, one of the dibs signs says, yes, Jesus loves you. Unless you steal an old lady's parking spot. Smile, you're on camera. I'll leave that for you to scrutinize theologically. Dibs per fits perfectly into this sermon series called The Impossible Possibility for an Impossible Time. We're not just talking about ungentleman ungentlemanly behavior or discourteousness or bad manners. We're talking about someone severing your brake lines, slashing your tires, or smashing in your car windows over a snow-free parking spot. We're talking about a flight attendant missing teeth after an altercation with a ticketed passenger. And we're talking about this upsurge of irate citizens um, out in public throwing tantrums. To take things one step further this week, someone told a local pastor that they were so fed up with the ideological divide between themselves and their neighbor that they were going to have to move. Can't even stand to look at the person next door, they said. So much for Jesus' stance on love your neighbor. Or at least pretending that you love your neighbor when you're talking to your local pastor. Some places are trying to come up with solutions. There's a restaurant in Cape Cod that was so overwhelmed by rude customers last summer that they shut down for a day of kindness. And there's a restaurant in Colorado who invited a therapist to join their staff full time to help employees through this time of industry stress. And here in our sanctuary, we're poised, primed to take another run at the situation by exploring what Jesus might say or do to see if Jesus might lure us out of indifference, out of apathy, out of distress, and towards something a little bit more hopeful. As Reinhold Niebuhr puts it, Jesus is the impossible possibility for our impossible times. And I might add that if a way through is possible, it is Nicholas de Cusa's divine possibility itself who will reveal the way. I love today's gospel lesson for a couple of reasons, but one because Jesus just spent the entire night in prayer. It's the only time in the gospel that we learn that Jesus was up all night praying, and so I kind of imagine him as a post-all-nighter uh, college student, exhausted, trying to make their way through finals weeks. His you, you've pulled an all-nighter. His immune system is a little compromised, and his hunger hormones are totally out of whack. But the pressure is on. He has to give a speech. His disciples are there, um, and this crowd has come from all over, from Tyre and Sidon. If you look at a map, they're coming from all over, and they've taken time to be there. They're all seeking this impossible possibility of healing and hope in first century Palestine. Jesus's lecture is sometimes called the Sermon on the Plain because all night long he's praying on this mountaintop, but he comes down to the plain where the people are to preach. In Matthew, it's the Sermon on the Mount. He's still up there on the mountaintop, and that, that's the version that we teach to our children Blessed are the pure at heart, blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers. But it doesn't pack the same punch that 
Luke's Beatitudes do, right? Luke is a little more straight to the point. Blessed are the poor and woe to the rich. Blessed are the hungry and woe to you who are filled. Maybe Jesus is just trying to boil it all down. He's, he's trying to get his message on two PowerPoint slides. Blessings, woes, four points. We're done. I got to go back to bed. But if we binge-watched the Gospel of Luke, we might see things a little bit more clearly. Jesus is fine-tuning his vision. Just two chapters ago, Jesus proclaimed basically the same message in Nazareth to the home crowd. But the abysmal depths of incivility raged even in the first century, so they almost pushed him off a cliff. They wanted easier answers from their prophets and saviors and miracle workers. But if the people of Nazareth had been paying attention too, they might have seen this message coming as well. Even before Jesus' first sermon there in Nazareth, where he reads from the prophet Isaiah, this blessing for the poor hangs in the air. It's a melody that he has known since the manger from the crib. Decades prior, in the months just before Jesus was born, it was his mother's justice-seeking melody that wove through the hill country, blessing the hungry, the lowly, the oppressed. Her magnificat says it all. She sang that familiar tune because she borrowed that language from centuries earlier, too, from Hannah. And, of course, it's a tune even older than that, a tale as old as time. It's really God's first whisper to us. All of this is good. Let there be thriving. Let there be light. But here and now, even God's first whisper to us feels like an impossibility. feels illogical and out of sorts that blessing would come from poverty, that gift would come from weeping, that hunger could be windfall, that rejection could be a stroke of luck. But that's, that's Luke. His is a gospel of great reversal, of turning things upside down where the Giants and the Jets go to the Super Bowl, and the first become last, and the last become first, and the, serv and the servants become leaders, and the great among us become servants. The Gospel of Luke is an invitation to join in the impossible possibility of Jesus' vision and participate in this soul-shifting, heart-changing, life-turning, radical obedience that shakes up all expectations and turns the world around. Theologian Catherine Keller suggests that when these big shifts occur, impossibility yields to actuality. Some fumble or crack in the impossible itself discloses and reveals some other kind of possibility. Maybe Jesus is just trying to catalyze this shift to provoke impossibility and open wide what's possible. We've, see, we've seen it happen, the impossible becoming possible. Maybe 
we feel the weight of impossibility when we see income inequality or, or like Giuliano was talking about affordable housing crisis or the news with old-fashioned racism thriving or rumors of war churning. And we still don't know, really, the global impact of this mired season of pandemic and disruption. History is still being written. But sometimes the impossible does become possible. By last report in 2018, extreme poverty had fallen 35% globally, hunger by 25%, child labor on the decline, life expectancy on the rise, child mortality down, death in childbirth, rare. There is more work to be done, work of justice, work to which we may be called. Our participation is what Jesus calls us toward. But possibility is imminent, passe ipsum. The impossible becomes possible. And Jesus is looking system-wide, right? He's looking at the poor in general, the hungry, the weeping. But as the Gospel of Luke unfolds, we're going to meet people for whom this message is the intimate and life-changing thing that catalyzes their thriving. Today, it is this broad message, the call to the rich to unhinge from the exploitive and to walk the life-affirming way of Jesus. It is a gospel-tinged longing for the poor to be raised up and for human thriving and creaturely thriving and earthly thriving to be not just for some but for all. And we see it on this big picture kind of level with Jesus but I think for me, I begin to trust that possibilities are there when I look at the more intimate picture, when I look a little bit closer to the unfolding of what's already happening in our midst. The impossible possibility for our time unfolds here and now within and between us. I see it up close when I talked to the chatty 19-year-old in our congregation who was born at 24 weeks and spent months in the NICU and is now a towering six-foot-five college student, passe ipsum. I see it up close when I notice the child sitting next to you who was once only an impossible dream, a hope, a future seemingly beyond probability, passe ipsum. I see it in the momentary relief from pain that you felt among chronic illness that the doctors can treat but not cure. Passe ipsum. I see it when you have one good day among too many foggy impossible days. Passe ipsum. I see it in the uncanny peace that you've told me about that comes now and again amid the deep losses that you have endured in this season. Passe ipsum. I see it when you say yes to loving your neighbors. Yes to loving your immigrant neighbor, your migrant neighbor, your politically different neighbor, your neighbor who needs secure housing at Sarah's Circle, your neighbor who has that hidden ache or worry that only you know about. Passe ipsum.
I see it when your generosity pours forth unexpectedly. Maybe you're even surprised by it. Abundantly. Passe ipsum. Breath by breath, that spirit of the living God falls upon us and nudges us toward the possible amid all impossibilities. May such a vision continue to unfold in our midst.